Uh, Brian, I bit my lip earlier today, mm, mm-hmm. which means that I will continue to bite my lip throughout the rest of the day and probably a little bit of tomorrow. So just yeah. a, war- a warning you, if I stumble over some words later, it's because uh, biting my lip bi- again. Biting lips, yeah. So I actually came up with a pretty good strategy for dealing with that. Oh. In the future, the next time you're going to bite your lip, instead of doing that, just don't do that. Oh, just don't do it. Good, 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 yeah. good, good. Yeah, I like that. Like generally, like that. that's been pretty helpful for me. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. Look, just my two cents, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll keep it in mind. That's good. Next time. Welcome to episode 414 of the Design Details Podcast. It's your boy, back on the West Coast, Brian Lovett. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, so good to have you back, my dude. Same time zone, recording at 7.30 on a Monday. This is easy mode. I'm used to doing this at 11 o'clock at night. This is great. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Let's jump into it. Let's do it. Before we dive in, a huge shout out to Plume. Plume empowers a billion smart devices at home and in small businesses with a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental controls. If you're looking for a new gig, they're looking for product designers with two to five years of experience. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Plume. Thanks, Plume. We also have some new very important pixels this week. Welcome to the fan. Shout outs to Max Georgopoulos, Christina Jacobs. Marissa Tang, Liam Shepard, Michael Golliver, and Sam Ryan. Brian, I'm going to go out on a limb there and say you got all those right. I bet I missed one. Yeah, yeah. Marissa Tang, Marissa Tong, who knows? But Mm -hmm. Marissa knows. Well, Marissa knows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At least one person knows. Well, welcome to the fam, everybody. Well, welcome to the fam. Be sure to catch this week's sidebar. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that you, dear listener, Make this show possible for us to record every single week. That happens on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. If you go there, you can sign up for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And in return, you get access to double episodes every week. This happens with a special supporter-only segment we call the Sidebar. Sidebar, Sidebar. Sidebar is a extra topic, extra listener question. Last week, we talked all about perfectionism and obsessing over the details. And this week, we're talking all about loading states how to deal with them, design them, strategize around them. So if you want to hear us talk about that, get access to our full backlog of sidebars and get those double episodes going forward every single week. Head to patreon.com slash design details. Just a quarter a week. (laughs) Just a penny every eight hours. That's pretty good, right? A penny for eight hours. Yeah. I don't, that it doesn't really make sense, but we'll go with it. (laughs) All right, Marshall, let's dive in. We had a good tweet this week from... Rafael Vital, who said, cool things. What was your last and truly memorable wow moment you had with a digital or physical product? But instead of doing cool things, that we could just talk about our last wow moment because, frankly, they're fewer and further between these days. I don't know, maybe in the early days of smart devices and and touchscreens, we had a lot of these. But when I saw this tweet from Rafael, I was like, what was the last wow moment? I had to actually sit down and think, for a second. So I figured we could just talk about it and see, you know, if there's anything particularly interesting happening in the world right now that you're excited about. Yeah. Okay. So I also had trouble thinking of something that wasn't a while ago. One of mine is from like a year and a half ago and one's from a few months ago. But 
maybe I'm just numb to it or I'm not surprised mm. as easily anymore or as impressed as easily anymore. But I guess I'm kind of thinking about it as like times that I've added a markedly new pattern to my catalog. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen too often. New patterns or, I mean, for me, like I was trying to think of when is the last time I saw an interaction or experience where my immediate reaction was, I have to tell somebody about this. This was really cool. So I don't know. That was my bar. Yeah, my bar is kind of like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to have to steal that and use that at some Mm, point in the future. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's dive in. You go first. Okay, so the first one, this is kind of the one that I've had on my mind for quite a while, is in the iOS native design tool called Play. It's a mobile design tool for designing mobile apps. Exactly, which is a little bit recursive and, and... once you start to think about it, it's like, how do you design a screen that's the size of the screen you're designing on, right? And, <laughs> uh-huh. and that's a really hard problem. And the, one of the ways yeah. that they address that is by using all of these drawers. There's this really simple but complex and well-thought-out drawer system. And, and all of the things that you can adjust, all of the properties that you can adjust about any given component that you might have selected the way that you adjust those properties is largely through horizontal sliders that live in this drawer at the bottom of the screen. And by doing that, it just makes it so ergonomic for you to like slide these sliders back and forth and they can kind of put whatever the fuck they want into in those sliders. There's a, there's a huge amount of flexibility that comes along with this simple pattern. And I was blown away by the scope of usage they got out of this one thing. Yeah, the, the, the crazy part about Play's interface is well, I mean, it's really unique the way you actually navigate and manipulate things. But gosh dang, they also did it at like 60 frames per second and it is buttery smooth and the animations of the elements are really, really impressive. Like this is kind of aspirational level sort of animation quality and performance. So not only is it a unique interaction pattern, but they like nailed the specific details that make it fun and performant to you. I don't know exactly the right word here, but... It's good. It's really nice. Yeah, you can really get into a flow. And like I said, it's super ergonomic. Like you said, it's very performant. It just feels good. It feels good. So that really stuck out to me. I think I mentioned this on the podcast like a year and a half ago or whatever when I first started using it in the beta. And uh, so this is a little bit of a rerun, but I hope you enjoyed the oldie but goldie. So Brian, you got one for us? Okay, yeah. This one, I don't know. I guess Android listeners will be like, yeah, this has been around forever, but I'm on iOS. And so I just updated to iOS 15. And this is the version that introduced live text. Have you used this yet, Marshall? Yeah. It's really, really impressive and fun. And the reason that I've included it is because I remember when I discovered it, I I downloaded it to my phone and I found the little button, you know, when you're about to type some text, you long press, it gives you the popover, you have the little new icon in that popover toolbar, tap it, opens your camera, and just pointing it at text and moving around. I remember I was sitting next to Gabe at Makeshift in New York, and we just ran around the room like pointing it at different pieces of text. We ran up to the whiteboard, we, were, we had a bunch of handwritten stuff. We we're like, oh, can I get this? And we were like paging around the words and laughing at the mistranslations, but also being amazed when it could actually get handwriting correct and convert that into a typed word just through the camera. Really cool. And the fact that this is sort of now a system primitive, like not only can you use this to compose, but you can also grab text out of screenshots and other photos. I just think this is going to add a new layer of interactivity to our digital lives that didn't exist before. Like all of a sudden different things become 
interactive in ways that previously weren't. So perhaps new experiences will be unlocked by this. I don't know what it will be yet, but this is a really cool pattern to have that just seems to be baked in at a pretty low level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of long time ago, I think it was lens or word lens or something. I forget exactly what it was called, but basically you could point your camera at a sign and it would translate the sign for you. And this was huge for traveling, like being in a different country and just point your phone at a sign and get directions or tell what a shop is or something like that. It it was mind blowing and it worked really well, especially with weird fonts and everything. So yeah, it's kind of like that same magic again yeah. of like making well, the real world. Well, now that you said that, I'm like, damn, that's true. Because Google Translate is arguably this, but maybe even more impressive because it does the translation in real time as well. Okay, well, whatever. I'll keep it. iOS 15 live text. Still, no, still pretty cool. Both cool things. Both cool things. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's a newer cool thing that I was impressed by. And I don't know if I totally understand how it works, but I'll, I'll describe how I think I understand. Okay. So in TikTok... There's some engagement buttons on the right side. There's heart and share and comment. And the share button pops up a sheet and you can choose a bunch of different things to share through, one of which is a text. And I had used that to send a TikTok to my partner. And I noticed on subsequent TikToks that after the second loop of the video, the share button would replace with the messages app icon. Right? It would kind of do a little bubble up popover and replace that icon with the, the green background, you know, white bubble thing. Weird. Okay. Which is like, I thought a really clever idea of like, okay, you've watched the thing twice. You've already used a specific type of share method that we know of, right? So we'll promote that one to you and you don't even have to tap into the thing. Actually, I'm not sure if it takes you straight into that share method or if it takes you to the full share sheet. Anyways, I just thought it was a really cool little get your attention at the right time. Don't bug me about it until I'm ready for it. It was like, the I don't know, it was a, a nice combination of what I want to do when I would want to do it without bugging me. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I mean, I don't know. I'm generally apprehensive about things that are designed that way, but it makes sense. It's like there, it just feels like the motion, like that that transformation will grab your eye. And so you're more likely to share, which is, fine i guess i mean they didn't hit me with a tool tip or a fucking dialogue or anything it's like they didn't stop me from doing what i was doing i could have ignored it it was just enough to like be like hey there's something over here if you want to do it that's fair it's smart i i mean overall i'm into things that are good about inferring intent like that like okay double loop grab the last known share method prompt share sure okay and and it didn't do it when i first came in it didn't do it Mm -hmm. repeatedly it doesn't like sit Mm -hmm. there and scream at you start pulsing Uh exactly yeah yeah it could have been way worse so this is i thought good restraint and behavior based on my intent cool all right so this is my next one this is sort of an addition to the functionality that the apple watch has provided for a while so Marshall, you and I both wear Apple Watches. And the watch has become really cool if you fully exist inside Apple's garden in the sense that my watch unlocks my computer. I can use it to pay for things. I can control a lot of my life from my wrist. But one of the things that was really annoying during COVID was you're out and about and you're trying to unlock your phone and Face ID doesn't work because you're wearing a mask. And so I think it was a few months ago, one of the 14 dot something versions of iOS, they added a feature where if it detects that you are wearing a mask and you have a connected unlocked watch within a couple feet of the phone, 
it'll just unlock your phone. And I remember this being the last time I was like feeling like software was really making my life more productive and and easier. And I guess you'd call that a wow moment the first time that, you know, you're in a store, you're waiting in line at a coffee shop, whatever, everyone's got their masks up. You don't want to pull it down to face ID, but that delay before you type your code is like two or three or four seconds. But now you just look at your face, it detects the mask, and it unlocks pretty quick. It's within a second or two. So I really like that. I feel like Apple's been adding on a lot more of those sort of invisible experiences in the last year that maybe you don't get that much press. You know, other things we've talked about in the past are like kind of how they orient you in space for spatial audio. I just love all of these invisible things where they're inferring intent and making the best decision they can possibly make based on external context clues. I really like that. Yeah, and they're they're just using all of the parts they already had set up. They're just remixing them in different ways. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right, and here's my last one. So, you know, I have a tonal, which is like a home gym that hangs on the wall and basically looks like a TV with a couple arms on Mm, it. mm Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things about the tonal is it has all of these real-world physics things built into it. It uses magnets to create resistance rather than actual weight. And one of the settings on there when you're doing a movement is called chains. And basically the idea is in, in the real world, say you're doing a bench press, right? If you put chains on each end of the barbell, the chains are long enough that they coil up on the floor And as you push the bar up, more of the chains lift off the floor, so it actually gets heavier the further through the motion that you get, right? Uh Um, And Uh it gets lighter as you you bring it back down. So they have this built in. So like you can add chains to any movement regardless of which direction it's going. So normally that would be dependent upon gravity going down, but you might be doing a motion where the stress is going down. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's a really nice feature that because it's removed from any physical requirements of gravity or any of that other stuff, it's a nice application of a real world thing into a digital thing in a better way than it ever was in real world. Yeah, Does that make sense? that's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. And the fact that it is using magnets, yeah, you can do it. You can apply the same resistance pattern to any direction of motion, right? Really cool. All right. Uh, Well, my last one is perhaps going to be contentious and perhaps a rabbit hole and perhaps something we should talk about in a future episode. But uh, Marshall, I bought an NFT. (laughs) Oh, boy. Have you been following or been totally inundated by NFT talk on Twitter? No, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm... I'm just sitting back and waiting. So tell me, tell me what's what I'm missing. Okay. Well, I don't know a whole lot. All I know is my feed and sort of social media bubble has been fully absorbed into crypto web three NFT conversations. And that can be a whole other topic. But I will say that the process of buying an NFT was really interesting. I don't know that it was necessarily like the most supreme user experience I've ever had because it is pretty complicated. You have to set up a wallet and you like send Ethereum or whatever your currency is to different addresses and you have to authenticate with a secret passcode and a password. Like it's objectively clunky. But here was the wow moment that I had, which kind of made some of this decentralized web and decentralized data ownership click for me, which was I bought an NFT on somebody's website and you click a button, it opens your wallet as like a pop-up I use MetaMask and you authenticate the transaction 
uh, stay on this person's website and it completes the transaction. And then when it completes, it says click here to go view, you know, the processing while this transaction gets added to the blockchain. So then I, I went and I watched that. That was the first time I'd ever seen, uh, it's called ether scan. It will like show you real time updates as validators are processing your transaction and, and doing all this shit. I don't really know what's going on, but then here was the cool thing. So then I went to another website, OpenSea, which is kind of like a marketplace for NFTs, but it's also a gallery where you can show off the things that you've purchased. And the way that it knows what you've purchased is you connect your wallet and it automatically can find all of the previous transactions against your wallet address. So this was the first time that it actually clicked for me what people are talking about when they say you own the data and it's sort of portable to any system that supports, I don't know, reading from the blockchain so the, the closest equivalent would be like, imagine if, you know, you've uploaded thousands of photos to Facebook over the years, but then all of a sudden a new Facebook appears and you want to transfer all of those photos to this new Facebook. Well, in today's world, that's probably impossible. At the very least, insanely time consuming. But in this new world, I think the way it works is your data exists on the blockchain tied to your address and anywhere you connect your address that chooses to support whatever transactions that you've had, whether that's uploading a photo or making a purchase, all of that comes with you. So for example, OpenSea is just one marketplace among many. And I've gone to other marketplaces and I do the same flow. I just connect my address and every marketplace can pull in all of my past purchases, which is pretty cool. Like my data is now portable to all sorts of different services on the web, and I'm not having to import, export, download a CSV, or, you know, like get a zip file tomorrow with all the backup of all of your data. Nope, you just click a button, connects your wallet, and it somehow magically goes and queries all transactions against that address. Anyways, I clearly don't know the technical bits of what's happening here, but having gone through the process of actually buying an NFT was the first time I was like, okay, there's something technically here that seems compelling, that it seems like I could see more of the internet working like in the future. All right. Well, those that was a bunch of cool things, Brian. How about we get into some official cool things? Well, before we do, let's say this. If you, listener, have your own wow moment, something that you remember recently, software, hardware, or otherwise, tweet at us or drop a comment on our Patreon post if you are a member or, yeah, tweet at us, Design Details FM, and we can follow up with some other cool, memorable wow moments. I'm sure there's other people that will have had some that maybe we've oh, yeah. forgotten about and would be cool to talk about. Blow our minds. Please. All right, now let's do cool things. Cool things. All right, Brian. The classic. It's back. Better and newer than ever. Uh, Longtime listeners of the show will know that I'm a big fan of the series Survivor. Uh -huh. And it's been gone for like a year and a half because of COVID. And usually there's like two seasons a year. So it's been a little bit dry, a little, little, uh -huh. uh, a little rough on us Survivor fans. So they're back. <laughs> the they're great back. Survivor drought of 2020. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's, it's the true sufferers of this whole pandemic as Survivor <laughs> fans. Just yeah. kidding. Um, so season 41 is out now. Episode one aired last week and 41, you heard me right, 41 seasons. But what's really interesting is because of one, the milestone, but also the circumstances of, you know, how everybody is competing and what they're kind of getting away from in normal life to play the game. It's just a different beast. And Jeff, who hosts the show, has said something to the effect of 
this is season 41, but drop the four. Just assume this is season one all over again. And anything that you thought was the way it is, not necessarily that way anymore. They're breaking precedent. They're adding new elements and new components, changing everything up. It's a new game, and I'm excited to watch because not that it was getting old, but they always change a little bit. Every single year, there's always a little bit of tweak to the formula. But they're changing a bunch of constants this year. So wait, give me an example because this sounds like if every season there's a different twist, this just seems like this season's twist is that there's more twists. I don't know what's paint me a picture. How's this season going to work? Okay, so normally two teams win and one team loses. Right, the the team that comes in first gets the best prize. Team that comes in second gets like a reduced but still not nothing prize, and then third team goes home with nothing. Right now, only one team wins. The other teams lose, and there's actually a penalty for losing. And when you go to tribal council at the end, instead of the one tribe that lost the worst going and having to eliminate somebody, the two tribes that didn't win have to go and eliminate somebody. So instead of a 39-day season, it's going to be a 26-day season, two-thirds the length, because they're getting rid of two people every tribal. Uh, It's going to be nuts. I don't know how this will affect things. There's so many variables to take into account. Like It's just going to change the game a ton. But does that make sense? So the two teams vote cumulatively to eliminate one person or each team eliminates one person from their own team. So two people leave each week. They go into tribal back to back, right? And then not only that, but when you go into tribal, you have everybody gets basically a, a token that they can cash in at any point to risk their vote to have a one in six chance of being safe. Right. So if you know you're going to get voted out, now you can basically spend your token and roll a die and see (laughs) one out of six. And and Uh potentially you can't get kicked out that tribal. And that fact won't be revealed until right before the votes are read. So whatever strategy other people had coming in, if you take your chance and get it, everything gets blown up. Mm. Okay. Really interesting. Sounds fun. Cool. What about you, bud? All right. My cool thing this week, I tweeted one example from this website a few weeks ago. I tweeted, there was a a tool where you could upload a picture of a face and it would generate a time lapse of how it thought that face would age. And the website that was powering that tool is called Replicate. It's at replicate.ai. And what I wanted to call out is their website has come a long way in the last few months. And they have an explore page now that has a bunch of really cool machine learning models that you can just play with on the web. In the past, a lot of these things, you would literally have to download a huge program and like run it on your computer. But now a lot of these are accessible on the web, including that one I just described where you upload a photo and it will generate sort of age predictions for that face. And what I found is these examples are really, really fun and playful if you go into it with the mindset of, I'm going to try and figure out how to trick this computer. So for example, the age one, I tweeted it out and some people responded with tweets where they would upload, like I think Jane Wong tweeted, she uploaded uh, Thomas the Tank Engine's face and it like did some crazy shit because it thought (laughs) it was a face because it looked kind of human, but then Uh it's on a train So did some weird things where age Thomas. But I've found that that's my pro tip with all of these machine learning algorithms is how can I trick this computer to make it look dumb? Uh, (laughs) And it's a lot of fun. So anyways, that's my cool thing this week is the examples listed here. So if you want to have some fun with computers, it's replicate.ai slash explore. Truth is going to be dead pretty soon here, Brian. We won't be able to trust anything. 
It's happening quickly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's All it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 414 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thought on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. We love hearing from you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to our bonus episodes, supporter only segment called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. If you want to hear us talk about loading states and how to design them, that's in this week's sidebar. Get access to our backlog, today's and all future sidebars, once again, at patreon.com slash design details. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show. Thanks, everybody. We will catch you next week. Bye. I do that to Effie all the time. Effie will like trip on something. She'll be like, ah, oh, I tripped. Effie, well, you shouldn't have done that. Next time, just don't trip. Drives yeah. you nuts. Virginia will drop something and make a huge sound, and I'll be like, you dropped something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right, you and I are on the same page. Control, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>